This is Digital Story Podcast number 935, February 20th, 2024. Today's theme is, how do I pick my best shot? I'm Derek Story. Photographers tend to be too hard on themselves or way too generous when evaluating their pictures. But there's a middle ground, and to reach it, we need to honestly answer a few basic questions during the review process. In the first segment of today's TDS Photography Podcast, I'll let you know what those are and how they can help you make better choices when selecting your images. All of that and lots more. I hope you enjoy the show. So a little background on this week's podcast, starting on Wednesday, we have the first installment of a brand new online workshop called Photo Critique and Building Your Portfolio. I'm very excited about this because one of the things that I have observed during our workshops, whether they're online or physical, one of the things that photographers really want is good feedback in learning how to better select their photos. And I thought, wow, you know, we incorporate this in other workshops. What if we did a workshop that was focused on this? And it's been a lot of fun to prepare for this workshop. Now, this one is sold out, but I'm going to be offering it again in the future. And I'll certainly let you know when I do. This is really an interesting subject. So I thought, why not talk about it on the podcast too? And that's what we're going to do today. Let me run a scenario by you. Have you ever opened up your laptop to show off a favorite picture, one that you worked really hard on, only to have the viewer rave about a different shot you had passed by? You're thinking, but I've worked hours on this to get it perfect. <laughs> and you tell the viewer that and here she says, oh, well, that one's nice too trying to comfort you, obviously realizing that they had picked the wrong shot. And the bottom line on this is that as photographers, we have many blind spots when evaluating our own work. And one of the most common blind spots, in my opinion, is that if I spend a lot of time working on a picture, it's better than all the others. Now that may or may not be the case. But how do you know? Well, you can move the odds more in your favor by analyzing your favorite photos using this process. And let me go over it right now. Initially, there are four steps. And the first few steps you're going to be very familiar with because all of us kind of do this sort of thing. You go out, you do a photo shoot. And let's say that you have 100 images from your photo shoot. So you come back and you load them into Lightroom or Capture One or Photos, whatever you happen to use. Now, the first thing you have to do is separate the good shots from the bad ones. So I'm not talking about the great shots. I'm just talking about the good ones from the bad ones. This is very easy to do. So you have 100 images. Odds are solid that you're going to have at least 25 of those that will be good. They could stand on their own with very little image editing. They're just good pictures. Now, that doesn't mean they can't be made better, but they're good. They're solid. All right, so you separate those 25. And 
I do this with star ratings, for example. The bad ones, well, they just go bye-bye most of the time. The good ones get a two-star rating. So I got 25 two-star rated images. All right, so they go in their own folder because now I only want to look at those 25 shots. And I think there's something that happens psychologically when you keep upping the ante, when you keep getting rid of shots that aren't as strong and are only looking at strong shots, I feel like it's easier than to see the strong shots among the strong shots, if you know what I'm saying. So you've got those good photos, those 25 shots in their own album. Now you go back through those 25 again, and I just do a second rating. So the ones that are better of those 25, I give them a three-star rating. And that'll usually be five to 10 photos. So now you have your five to 10 images that initially are your best shots from this photo shoot. And none of this is really great science at this part. Where it gets hard is when you have to pick the best one or two from those 10. That's the part that gets very difficult, I think. So you have those five to 10 favorites. Now what you do is you isolate those again in their own album and you look at each one full frame, right? Each one full frame. And when you're looking at them, there are three questions that I want you to ask. The first question, is the content of this photograph compelling? And what I mean by that is, is there a clear center of interest? Does it tell a story? Are the supporting elements working with the main subject? If you can't identify a clear center of interest, the main subject, right away, then I think it is a weaker image that either needs cropping or maybe it just doesn't deserve to be in your top tier of photos. And is it telling a story, some sort of story? If it isn't doing that, then again, you have to kind of think about why is this image here in my top 10? So that's the first question. Second question, is the image technically sound? That is, is the exposure good? Is the sharpness appropriate for the subject? Now that doesn't mean that it has to be super sharp all the way across the frame. I said sharpness appropriate to the subject. When I say technically sound, what I mean by that is that the technical part of the photograph works well with the artistic part, works well with the content. And the example I'll give you is a portrait. If you're making a portrait of an elderly person, you're not gonna have image sharpness all the way across the frame. You're not gonna boost clarity. You're not gonna do a lot of things because that's not appropriate for the subject. What you do want in that portrait, generally speaking, are sharp eyes, right? Because when the viewer looks at that portrait, the eyes is the first place that they're going to go. So you want sharp eyes, and then chances are you're probably going to want a wide aperture where the depth of field falls off quickly to sort of soften the rest of the image. Now, I don't mean out of focus. I mean just not overly sharp. 
So when you're shooting a portrait of an elderly person, the definition of solid technique is different than when you're shooting architecture, where you're probably going to want sharpness across the frame. You're probably going to want more contrast. You're probably going to want more vibrancy in the color. Does the technique, does the technical aspects of the photo work with the subject? All right, so that's the second one. First, we have content. Then we have technically sound. And then the third one is, is there emotional appeal? Do you feel something when you look at the picture? Now your best images will have yes to all of these things. So the emotional part is the hardest one I think to convey, but it's the easiest one to detect when you feel it. And I think part of it is you just have to tune into it. The way that I recommend you start with that is when you're looking at your five to 10 candidates, full frame, one at a time on your computer, is forget about the technical for a minute, even forget about the content for a minute, and just let yourself fall into the image. Just fall into the image. And then what do you feel? When I see an image that strikes me emotionally, I actually feel it in my body. I actually feel it in my solar plexus, you know, down in right in the middle of my chest abdomen area. I can actually feel it's like ding, like, hey, I like this shot, or I really feel something, or that makes me sad, whatever that emotion happens to be, I actually get a physical sensation. Not everyone does, but I do. And I think a lot of other people do as well. You can get some sort of emotional response if you open yourself up to it. Because the reason why this is important, a lot of other people, people that you don't know that are going to be looking at your photograph, that is going to be their primary motivation for deciding if they like your photo or not. Yes, content's very important. Yes, technically matched to the content is important. But the thing that will override those other two is emotional response. So you definitely want to have that as a component in your very best photographs. We're talking about trying to pick a photo to show at your next camera club meeting. We're talking about a photo that you're going to enter into a competition. You're talking about photos that are going to accompany something that you're writing on your blog or uh, in an article or something like that. We're talking about those kinds of photos. Not every photo that we take has to undergo this type of scrutiny. We're posting things on Instagram, Facebook, and other places, social platforms all the time that are basically just celebrating our life. And we're sharing that celebration with other people. Those photos don't have to go through this. Otherwise, our output would be very slim if we had to scrutinize each shot the way that we're talking about right now. But there are those times, those special photos that we want to have in our portfolio, that we want to show on our website, that we want to feature on Flickr and other places like that. How do we determine which photos to show? This process can help you with that. Now, one of the things that I've observed during our lab sessions at TDS workshops is that many photographers give too much weight to the technical considerations and not enough to the content and emotion. 
And of course, the irony is, as I just explained, if we had to live without one of the three, content, technical, emotion, well, then technical would be the one that we could live without. Photos that have interesting content with emotional appeal, they will always outshine technically perfect images with general audiences. Once your person identifies your main subject and is attracted to it, game's over. You've won them. <laughs> You've won them over. Pixel peepers may criticize image noise or plugged up shadow areas, things like that. But in my opinion, they're missing the point. And that is where their head is at. Their head, they're not, they're closed off emotionally. They're not looking at content. They are looking at specific aspects of your photo. And those aspects are not as important as content and emotion. You have to take their opinions with a grain of salt. When they're really banging on you about something, let's say image noise, that's a good one. Then you go, okay, you know, in your mind, thanks, duly noted. Maybe later on, uh, you run it through one of your apps that reduces image noise and you're done. Or maybe image noise is part of the artistic interpretation of the shot and you just ignore them altogether. People who put their noses right up to big prints, you know, you've got a big 13 by 19 print hanging on the wall and they go right up and put their nose right on it and go, oh, this isn't as sharp as it could be. <laughs> and you go, well, you know, most people view that image about three to four feet and at three to four feet, it looks really nice. You know where I'm going with this. So you have to take those folks with a grain of salt. So I think you should try this. I think you should try this method and see how it works for you. Take a shoot that you've already done that has 50, 100 shots. Run it through the four-step process where you go through, you know, you just separate the good ones from the bad ones, and then you pick the best out of the good ones. And then you ask these three questions while looking at those images full frame. Mark notes, right? Right, you know, for the workshop that we're gonna do, I actually have a score sheet that our workshop participants are going to use that they can actually keep track of all these different elements that I'm talking about and they end up with a numeric score at the end of it. They have scores that say for their 10 shots that they're weighing. Those scores are gonna be different for each shot, right? And then you go, wow, that score got a 90. This one got a 78. I never really thought that this one was a better shot, but now that I'm really looking at it, now that I'm falling into it, I think it is the better shot. It just gives you a language. It gives you a methodology. It's another way to help you figure out what are the best shots in any group of photos that you have so that when you're sharing your images in serious situations, you have the best opportunity for success. I hope you find this helpful. Uh, by the way, I'll mention that I have an article on medium.com and I'll put the free link for this article in the show notes of this podcast. And it really goes into even more detail than I'm discussing right here. I think it'd be a nice reference to go along with the show notes. And then, of course, those of you that are attending our photo critique and building your portfolio workshop, we're getting going on Wednesday, and I can't wait to work with you on these things that I've been preparing for you. 
News from Fujifilm's first X Summit of 2024. So Fujifilm does these summits a few times a year. The first one for 2024 is going to be in Tokyo, and it's actually happening tonight as I'm publishing the podcast. So I record the podcast in the afternoon, and then I edit it and do the production and all that stuff on it in the evening, on Monday evening. And that's when they're having their X Summit. So what I'm going to do is... Hi everyone, I'm Justin Staley from the Global Product Planning Team, and I'm going to explain the details of the X100 6. First, here is the product overview of the new and exciting X100 6. It utilizes a fifth generation sensor and processor, plus a newly developed IBIS unit. Complete with AI autofocus and 6.2K video, it has evolved significantly from the previous model. However, the X106 is more than just a high-performance camera. This camera embodies our experience in both analog and digital photography. Experience the joy of photography just by taking a photo and looking through the viewfinder. For example, it is the ideal size and weight, allowing for mobility when focusing on a subject in the street. The shutter speed and aperture compensation dials are placed on top of the camera body. Together with the aperture ring, all shooting settings can be changed in a tactile fashion like an analog camera. Furthermore, each dial has a carefully considered feel. We've optimized the dials for both accuracy and comfort. Finding the ideal moment when looking through the viewfinder, we've carried over this advanced hybrid finder, the X100 series' most valued feature to the new camera. The EVF supports composing inside the frame. The OVF opens up the field of view to include the area outside the frame, expanding the creative possibilities. These two technological features can be switched at will with a single lever. The X106 continues all the values that have been cherished by X100 series users. This is a camera that retains and redefines the concept that has been well received by many and is equipped with our latest components. Now you may be wondering about the technical advancements of the X106. Please allow me to introduce them. First of all, let's get into the most important aspect, image quality. The X106 is equipped with the sensor and processor from the fifth generation of the X-Series, the X-Trans CMOS 5 HR and the X-Processor 5. 40 megapixel resolution has finally come to the X106. At Fujifilm, we envisioned this upgrade for the past five years. The same 23mm f2 prime lens has been carried over from the X100V. However, this lens seamlessly resolves 40 megapixels. This is the high resolution result of the output from the compact X100 6 body. Additionally, the X100 series accepts a wide angle or telephoto conversion lens as an accessory. These two conversion lenses also support 40 megapixel, providing high resolution results from the center to the edge of the image. You can enjoy taking high resolution images at these three focal lengths. We have made another evolution in image quality, the Reala Ace film simulation. Developed for the GFX 102, it will be available for the first time in the X series on the X106. 
This film simulation is the pair to Provia. In addition to Reala Ace, grain effect and color chrome effect are also included. These functions are the ones that add the charm of analog images in digital form. Exactly what we need for the X106. Moving forward, we recognize that the processor is a critical element of the camera. There are various performance improvements with the X Processor 5, but the enhanced autofocus is a point that we think will benefit users at all levels of photography. The newest autofocus algorithm produces swift and accurate results and will also feature a subject detection function that utilizes deep learning technology. Another essential element to take full advantage of the high resolution and image quality of the 40 megapixel sensor is IBIS. IBIS enables you the freedom to not need a tripod to capture sharp images. IBIS is critical for maintaining image quality, but we cannot allow it to compromise the compact size and mobility of the X100 series. However, our engineers have successfully resolved this challenging contradiction. This is the result. With a slight size and weight increase of two millimeters in thickness and 43 grams in weight, we have successfully mounted a six-stop IBIS unit. Although the mass of the IBIS part itself is almost the same as that of the X-T5, the newly developed thin IBIS system was able to be installed into the camera. Moving on, the grip design has also been refined to match with, the, with mounting the IBIS unit. The grip and feel of the X106 remains the same as the previous model. And like the GFX102, the X106's IBIS system utilizes image information in addition to the gyro sensor for improved image stabilization. With these advances in hardware and software, we were able to incorporate a small but powerful image stabilization system. The potential of the X106 increases with IBIS, giving more freedom for night street photography and slow shutter speed. We imagine this being a useful update to photographers of all levels of experience. Although it is positioned as a still camera, the X106 is equipped with impressive video performance. It comes with 6.2K, 422 10-bit internal recording, and includes touch tracking autofocus. Moreover, you can connect it to Frame.io, Camera to Cloud, without additional accessories. Video and still image files can be uploaded directly to Frame.io. The workflow from shooting to editing is dramatically sped up and stress-free. We would like to introduce you to other useful devices incorporated into the X106. As we previously mentioned, the viewfinder is the same as that of the X100V. Look through the viewfinder compose your shot, and release the shutter. This device is dedicated to creating through the viewfinder. With three distinct modes, EVF, OVF, and the electronic rangefinder, we hope you will enjoy creating images. The viewfinder is a very important feature of this model, but it is by no means the only way to enjoy photography. The flat LCD has been carefully designed for users to enjoy viewing on the screen. This is also a feature inherited from the X100V. When stored, it's completely integrated with the body, resulting in a very simple and elegant design. You can look through the viewfinder, shoot at waist level with the LCD, 
or simply just love the design. Everyone enjoys photography in their own way, and we trust that you will use the X106 in any way that suits you. Please let me explain about battery life. With the inclusion of IBIS, some may be concerned that it will decrease the number of shots that can be made. However, the X Processor 5's power-saving performance brings a solution to that. It uses the same NP-W126S battery as the X100V, yet is able to shoot slightly more frames than the X100V, enabling users to concentrate on shooting without worrying about the remaining battery power. Lastly, allow me to explain the accessories of the X106. All previous model accessories, including the lens hood and leather case, can be used with the X106. The adapter rings, AR X100, and PRF49 can be attached to make the camera dust and weather resistant. This expands the conditions the X106 can be used in. We have come to the end of the X106. Infrared Photography Workshop Online, June 2024. Do you feel like the world is looking like the same old, same old through your camera's viewfinder? Have you felt your enthusiasm for photography waning? Then it's time for you to consider exploring infrared imaging. Suddenly walks you've taken a hundred times look completely different as you see them through your camera. Old familiar subjects burst to life with new vibrancy. IR photography can energize your creativity, not only for this medium, but for all of your artistry. Beginning on June 5th, 2024, join us for a four-week exploration into the world of IR. Now, during this event, there are some things you're going to learn. We've done this workshop many times now, so it's very refined event. So we'll cover the best IR filter to start with, how to test your existing digital camera for IR sensitivity, learn about the different types of IR conversions for digital cameras, see how different IR filters produce wildly different results, learn how to fine tune your images with software you already own, and discover advanced techniques to take your images to the next level, and so much more. Now this online workshop via Zoom begins on Wednesday, June 5th, 2024, with both morning and evening sessions. We will convene weekly thereafter via Zoom for more training sessions, Q&A, and to compare notes. You can attend the morning, evening, or both sessions. It's essentially the same content, just with different participants. And it's really fun. Plus, you'll have unlimited access to our online workshop community, Derek Story Online. Here you can mingle with other workshop participants, past and present, share images for comment, exchange tips and techniques, and enjoy the fellowship of other creatives who share your passion for image making. If you want to reserve your spot for this workshop, this online workshop that begins in June 2024, I have a link in the show notes that will take you directly to the workshop page, or you can click on workshops on thedigitalstory.com or workshops on thenimblephotographer.com if you haven't played with infrared photography, I think you would really enjoy this event. Hope to see you there. Drawing a wet iPhone in rice could actually make things worse. 
And this is an article on Macworld.com. I'll have a link in the show notes so you can read the entire piece. Now, even though in this article they're talking about iPhones, I think this applies to any smartphone, uh, any camera phone that you happen to have. And I think this also applies to compact cameras and so forth. So I think this information is a valuable way beyond the iPhone, but I'll go ahead and read what they have here. Obviously it's Macworld, so they're gonna focus on the iPhone. Let's see what they have to say. For years, we've turned to simple household staple when we need to save our iPhones from a liquid death, a bag of rice. This method is decidedly low tech. Just pop your phone in a bag of rice, seal it up and wait for a day or two. The idea is that the rice will draw the water out from inside the phone before it can fry any internal parts. People who have experienced waterlogged phones swear by it. And there's a ton of anecdotal evidence to show that it does indeed work. However, researchers have been claiming for years that it's all a myth and rice doesn't actually dry your phone faster and could slow down the process leaving your logic board susceptible to further damage. And a new 2024 support document from Apple actually advises against using rice to dry out your iPhone since it could make matters worse, as, quote, doing so could allow small particulates of rice to damage your iPhone, end quote. Instead, Apple suggests the following steps. Tap your phone gently against your hand with the connector facing down to remove excess liquid. Leave your iPhone in a dry area with some airflow. After at least 30 minutes, try charging with the lightning or USB-C cable or connecting an accessory. If you see the alert again, there is still liquid in the connector or under the pins of your cable. Leave your iPhone in a dry area with some airflow for up to a day. You can then try again to charge or connect an accessory through this period. It may take up to 24 hours to fully dry. If your phone has dried out but still isn't charging, unplug the cable from the adapter and unplug the adapter from the wall if possible and then connect them again. Among the don'ts, Apple also urges against drying your iPhone with an external heat source or compressed air or inserting a foreign object such as a cotton swab or paper towel into the Lightning or USB-C port. So there you go, the bag of rice. I, know, I personally know people who swear by this method. Uh, and in fact, my boys are two of them who swear by this method. But it appears that you may have even more success without the rice, just following the steps outlined in this article. Again, if you want it for reference, go to macworld.com. I have a link to the article in the show notes, and then you can bookmark it for further posterity or to use if you get in a disagreement with a very adamant rice user. <laughs> Rights to care of a little virtual camera club news. I want to start out by thanking our inner circle members. These are the folks that save you from terrible ads during this podcast. Now we all listen to podcasts that they do the opening 
and then there's an ad. And then they do the first story, and then there's another ad, and then there's another ad. <laughs> and you start to go, oh my gosh, when are we going to get the content? Well, we don't do that. And the reason why we don't do that, the primary reason why we don't do that, is because we have a community of Inner Circle members who through their monthly pledges, which is $5 a month, support this podcast so I don't have to sell ad space on this podcast. Now we have a sponsor, Red River Paper, of course, but beyond that, we're not doing ads for boxer underwear. We're not doing ads for hair growth. We're not doing ads for, you know, all the crazy stuff. And by the way, uh, those of you that have ever done a podcast or work in the podcasting world know that there are very specific rules that when you sell ad space, like for instance, some people insist that their ad run at the top of the show. Some people insist that you say the name or the call to action at least five to seven times. Some people insist on all these different things that if you're selling that ad space and if you're going to collect that money, you have to do whether you want or not. And then other outfits, they make you leave a space in your podcast and they dynamically insert ads into that space. So that means you don't even know what's going to go in there until you hear the podcast. And then that could even change from week to week. So then we have no control over that. We bypass all of that silliness thanks to our Inner Circle members. If you're interested in becoming an Inner Circle member, in supporting this community, in reaping the benefits of being an Inner Circle member, then all you have to do is click on the Patreon tile that's on all the pages of the digital story, nose around, you can sign up there, and you can help support us in 2024. And a big thanks to our Inner Circle members for everything that they do. And finally, I do want to give a shout out to our friends at Red River Paper, longest running sponsor of this show. These are the folks that put the joy in inkjet printing. Now, some people may say, hey, the words joy and printing do not belong in the same sentence. <laughs> well, there are days where that is true. However, like so many other things, the more that you know, the more that you learn, the better tools that you have, the more enjoyable the process becomes. And that's what Red River Paper is all about. They're all about making the process as enjoyable as possible while getting the best results possible. Bring those two things together and suddenly there is joy in inkjet printing, especially when you see that beautiful print come out of the printer and you're holding it in your hands and you're going, I made this. I made this from start to finish. I took the picture, I processed the picture, and I printed the picture. That is a good feeling. If you want to learn more about Red River Paper and what they can do for you, click on the tile that's on all the pages of the digital story. Nose around their site. There is a ton of information there. Get yourself some cool inkjet printing paper and start making art and discover the joy of inkjet printing. And a big thanks to Red River Paper for supporting this podcast. All right, it's going to do it for me this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. 
working on more great stuff for next week. Until then, get out there, take some pictures, have some fun. See you next Tuesday. Bye-bye now.